Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Burns. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Our guests today are actually coming to us, I think, from sunny Florida. I'm Chris Byrne with Richard Gottlieb, and this is the Playground Podcast. And these are guys I am so excited to have on the show because they are not guys who go around seeking publicity. They don't even like to talk that much, but uh, we've, <laughs> we've, uh, we've browbeaten them. We've got Charlie Emby and Jeffrey Greenberg, who are the co-presidents and co-founders of Just Play, which has just celebrated 10 years in business. And it's hard to think, guys, that just 10 years ago you were – Little kids out in your shed with balsa wood and rubber cement and rubber bands making toys. And now look at you. And uh, or maybe that's not the right story. Tell us how how Just Play came about. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for having us, Chris and Richard. We're excited to be on the on the show today. And uh, certainly, Chris, you and I go back, you know, a number of years and, and, and know each other for quite some time. And you know, Richard, we probably have not had as much interaction, but, we, you know, we're still very happy to be on the show today. We are uh, just over 10 years old, but, you know, Jeffrey and I have both been in this industry for a number of years. This is my 31st year in the toy business. And of course, it has gone by, you know, it, at a record fast pace. So we started uh, just 10 years ago. And uh, what's interesting and what people may not know is, you know, after both Jeffrey and I sold our past businesses to Jack Pacific. When we restarted back in uh, into business together, we started back in, uh, in the health and beauty business. We were producing licensed shampoo and hand sanitizers. One of our big retail partners had contacted us and asking us how we were doing. And we were actually out playing golf one afternoon. Uh, because we were kind of semi-retired at that time. And uh, we were having probably one of the worst uh, games of golf in the history <laughs> of golf. Um, and we looked at each other and we said, actually, you know, being in the toy industry or being back in business is easier than playing this sport. Uh, so we did what we didn't really have a lot of time to do back in the day, which was do a store check. So we went out to retail and went into one of the, our uh, big retail partner stores. And uh, we said, let's not go to the toy area. Let's go to someplace else in the store. And as we walked in, we went over to the health and beauty uh, side of the business. And we saw this huge display of licensed toothbrushes. And that kind of drew us over to the area. And we were looking at that. And as we were having conversation, Jeffrey turns to me. He's like, there is no licensed shampoo. And I think at the time, SARS was going on, and so there was a real need for uh, hand sanitizer, and we were like, there's no licensed hand sanitizers. We called the retailer that we were in at the time, and they said, oh, this is you know, a great opportunity for you guys to get back in business. Come down next week. And we, were, we looked at each other, and we said, A, it was an idea, and B, now we have it a meeting, and we don't even have a company. So uh, that, that kind of spawned the start of Just Play, you know, and, and from that, we quickly figured out how to manufacture shampoos, conditioners, and hand, hand sanitizers, and we were shipping goods probably within a six to eight month period. So today, how would you describe your, your product lineup? First and foremost, we're looking for great toys. I think that's what our business is. It's about product first. But I would say Just Play has a specialty in the preschool category, in the plush category, and in the girls category. Those are our, our core competencies today. You guys were into licensing. 
And so how important is that to your business right now? Yeah, I mean, I think licensing and our licensing partners are critical to our business and our success. I think in addition to that, Just Play is always looking, you know, we've explored expanding into some of our own brands. So we've recently done that with uh, Hair Adorables, which is a very successful brand that we've launched in the girls category. So I think that's something that Just Play looks forward to in the future. But at our heart, we will always be partners with our, you know, critical licensing partners. Okay, I, I'm just holding up and, and showing uh, Chris and Richard a, a slinky. That's right. another big uh, venture that we went into this year. And, you know, we made that acquisition, you know, a few months ago. It has been incredible. It brought us the ability to have U.S. manufacturing, which we didn't have previously. Um, but it also gave us the ability to buy a brand that was 75 years old and in, you know, the to Toy Hall of Fame. We're producing and shipping out of the U.S. We've employed most to all of the people that were there previously and then some. Um, so it's, it's been a really interesting experience. We will continue to go down the road of looking you know, for our own IP, but certainly our heart has always been with licensed product and that will still always be a big part of our business going forward as well. You also just acquired Trinky Dinks. That was in the same acquisition as well. Yeah, so that we're, we're actually reworking that product line right now. Um, we've got a lot of uh, newness that will be coming out um, as we start coming into the back half of 21. That has also been a brand, obviously, that has you know a tremendous amount of uh, integrity and, and has been around for a number of years that we're happy to relaunch as well. Let me ask you, this has been a, a, a fairly weird 10 years. As businessmen who've been doing this for a while, when you look back over the 10 years, what did you learn from it? At the essence, in order to weather a storm, you have to have strong support. And I think we've had great support with our teams. I think that we couldn't have done it every time we thought we were beaten down. We thought Toys R Us was, at, you know, they're out of business. How are we going to replicate it? Our teams rallied together and they came up with great new product. We looked at, you know, in the middle of COVID and we said, business is down in March. Are we ever going to reopen? Are stores going to reopen? What are we going to do? How are we going to work in an environment where people are not in the office and we can't meet with everyone? And the teams rallied together and they were able to do it. So I would say at the end, I think success is a testament to the core competencies and strength of your, of your employees and, and your team and your staff together. And everybody in those tough times joins together and rallies. I want to ask you a little bit about your licensing strategies, because you do an amazing job with the Disney's and the Nickelodeon's. But recently, you've also branched out into what wouldn't have been mainstream licenses 10 years ago. Things like JoJo Ryan. Sliwa and, and Pocket Watch with Ryan. Mm -hmm. How are you evolving to meet the demands of an evolving market. We've taken a lot of time as an organization to look at what's going on in the marketplace, evaluate what's going on in the marketplace, have conversation with retail, not only from a North American perspective, but also from a worldwide perspective. We take a lot of time and just see where trend is going as well in not only the, our industry, but other industries. And we use all of that as, as we start looking at these different opportunities. But you're 100% right. Who would ever think that Ryan, 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't have looked at something like that back then. It's the evolution of our business. And if we're not looking for new 
opportunities and new ways to bring product to market, the way people are consuming entertainment today, then we're going to be in deep trouble. So I think as we started looking at our license portfolio and we started to get into some of our own products, we have really taken a tremendous amount of time at looking at different opportunities within the industry, the entertainment industry. And that, you know, happens to be YouTube is, you know, one, you know, opportunity. And there's there's many more that are out there right now. So I don't want to say it was a conscious decision, but it certainly was something that we were looking at as we saw ratings and the way people were consuming that entertainment. We pivoted in that direction. You know, I just want to go back to the second part of my question. Do you guys feel like you learned anything new from the last 10 years? Like, I mean, a lot. I would say for myself, you know, I, I, I was affirmed in this sense that the toy industry is certainly not bulletproof, but it is incredibly resilient over and over and over again. So I mean, that's one of the things that, that I learned. Was there, what, what did you learn? Well, I, I think we're learning every day. Uh, how to operate in this new world, uh, you know, of omni-channel retailing. I, I think that's been critical. If you told us 10 years ago, we probably looked at our, our business online. It, it was minuscule. And, and now it's it's the huge growth engine of our company. I think every day we learn a little bit more about search engine optimization and how to market to consumers, how to look at it, pick up in store. I mean, I would say even over the last year, our business has been transformed as we focus our business on those channels. I mean, Richard, you know, when, when Toys R Us, you know, went away, Jeffrey and I sat for weeks and looked at our organization and said, wow, you know, we're going to have to eliminate this part of our organization and this part. And in actuality, what has happened is we've grown almost every single layer within our organization from product development, creative, packaging, each one of those areas has actually grown since Toys R Us has left the marketplace. I think in the short term, what's going to happen is, is uh, people are going to the internet, you know, and, and they're gonna, it's gonna be an e-commerce platform. And I think like everything in this world, it's going to just continue to just transform. The experience is transforming. The way people are shopping online is transforming. The experience that you get online is transforming. So maybe the way that we would look at e-commerce a couple of years ago is dramatically different today than it was a couple of years ago. And I think it's going to be even that much more different a couple of years from now. So I think it's going to continue to grow. I think there is a need for specialty toy stores in market. They definitely serve a purpose. A lot of trends come out of the specialty toy shops. It's one of the things that we do during Toy Fair religiously is go down to that bottom floor you know, and walk <laughs> down and, and look for that diamond in the rough. There are people that just don't have the experience, may not have the financial backing, etc. I think that there is still and will continue to be a need for for that on an ongoing basis. What that scale is going to be, I'm not really sure. I don't think it's going to grow at nearly at the scale as online. I would agree with you. I think that uh, online is, is going to continue to grow. I think people are going to continue to migrate from those stores, but I think there is still a need for that experience. I think people kind of will crave that. And I think certainly as we exit COVID, I think people are going to crave that interaction and to get out of the house more than ever. So I think that's the time. I think it will be difficult for another toy chain to come into the market at 700 stores. I, I don't know that we'll see that, but I think we'll see smaller chains pop up. Yeah, pop-ups and things like that, I think. 
Let's talk a little bit about this year because it's been a really unusual year. What happened with you guys? How are you coming out of it? What are you looking for in 21? I think, honestly, what we're looking for most is getting back into our office and back with our teams to get away from the computer screen and and kind of to interact with everyone, uh, to interact with our retail partners and our licensing partners. We're looking forward. I think we're going to end the year in a very positive manner. I think toy sales were, were very strong, much stronger, frankly, than we anticipated early on. I think we're coming out of this in the midst of it. Charlie talked about the acquisition of Slinky and Shrinky Dinks. We made that acquisition. That was certainly challenging for us because we had to operate that business remotely without being uh, on the ground. But I think we learned a lot. We're looking for expansion. Over the next few years, we're looking to grow our organization. I think this time challenged everybody and made everybody stronger and more efficient at their oper- at their jobs. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to your comments earlier, uh, and, and you certainly are a product-driven company. If you had to point to any one thing, it was uh, your relationships your, your, in the operational side of the business. It really came through for you. Do you feel like you're an operationally based business, or is it just that you appreciate your <laughs> what you have in your no, I think we appreciate it. I, I think efficiency is core to our, our, our being. I think we are always challenging ourselves. You know, how, how do we operate in the most efficient manner? But I think creativity is just as important. I think we just appreciate those teams. I think we appreciate our operational teams. We appreciate our sales teams. We appreciate, frankly, the relationships we have with our retail partners, because without them, we never could have gotten business in the first place. They helped us along when we first started. We believe that we're strong partners with them as well as with our licensing relationships. I, I would also probably add to that, you know, one of the challenges, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, Richard, is that when we look at products, we look at it through the lens of uh, the late 90s and early 2000s from a price point perspective. So we put a lot of pressure on our teams and our factories and all of our negotiation that goes into making our products. So something that may be a 29.99 retail with some of our bigger competitors, we look at it it's, and it should be $20. So that is also, I think, a big difference in kind of how we look at products. And I think you do that while still delivering a really good play experience. That's one of the things that I've always been impressed by with your line. Maybe it's because we have the mentality of a child. (laughs) We all do, by the way. Just going back to your relationship for a minute, for for people who are listening and and maybe are newer to the industry, can can you kind of just talk a little bit about uh, what what does it take to form strong relationships with retailers? Day one, when I got into this industry, one of my mentors said to me, Charlie, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. (laughs) 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 And that pretty much is what we tell every single person that joins our organization. It's important that people are listening. Everybody has a point of view about what they think is the right thing. We spend today a lot more time at stores, looking at retail, watching buying habits, looking at the trends. Specifically for us coming in, I think what was really unique is that Jeffrey started in a family business and I was in a kind of a quasi family business. It had already been sold to Mattel, but you know, I got the experience being at Mattel, working for their LC division in Arco, but being involved in sales and marketing and product development, going to China, working with factories, you know, licensing, all of that. 
And to the same degree, while Jeffrey didn't work at a large organization, he had all of those same experiences. And today, people coming into it, people get kind of pocketed into, oh, you're in product development, you're in sales. And we try, I think, within our organization to allow everybody to have an opinion and a comment. It may not always be right. It may be right. But I think that's an important thing within our organization and what makes us successful. You know, I, I would also add to that. I, you know, I think from a retail perspective, the, the thing that is most critical about dealing with retail partners is you have to be honest. Things are not always going to go the right way. You're going to have difficult times, difficult decisions. But if you're honest and you're upfront with them, I think they respect you. Um, and I think they will ultimately get through that and you can grow your business together. You mentioned that your proprietary line that you created, Hair Dorables, that was a big change for you guys going from largely interpreting a license into a plaything to creating a plaything from the ground up. How did you guys learn to do that? How did you go about it? And, and what drove you to want to create your own kinds of toy lines? We were pushed by our creative teams. They, they came to us and they said they really wanted to do something where they could kind of build something from the ground up. And it, we worked with a uh, inventor, uh, Steve Fink from BangZoom Group, and he presented a concept to us, which we liked. Our team then took that and interpreted and then kind of built the whole story from the ground up. And everybody in every department in the company kind of rallied around this because it was something that Just Play owned and it was something that Just Play thought was really important. And I think everybody got to contribute to that and it turned out to be a great, great success. So I think it was everyone had their heart into it, but it was fun creating something from nothing and creating the background story all the way through to the aesthetic look and design. COVID and the pandemic have really accelerated things that were happening already. Things like the move to home entertainment, the move to more online buying. Do you guys see any other trends that have been accelerated by the pandemic? Certainly from the streaming platforms. I mean, look at Disney Plus. I mean, that alone, you know, to, to have within a year to have 86 million subscribers, <laughs> I mean, is a staggering, staggering number. So I, I think that's been accelerated. I think the, the move to online has been accelerated. And I think those consumers who weren't as comfortable buying online certainly became much more comfortable buying online. So I think that's certainly a trend that's going to continue as well as differentiation amongst retail strategy for retail channels. I mean, I think the value channel is going to continue to grow. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is, is the long tail with Disney plus, you know, we're going to do more business in doc this year, probably than the last previous two years. It's incredible what has happened by having that streaming service available with on Disney Plus, you know, and it will be a big part of our line going into 21. So it's definitely had a, a major effect on product and the way people and, and people's buying patterns. One of the things it sounds like you're able to leverage is what I always call the mass niche, which is you have discrete audiences for different properties, but because they have so many options, they may not watch four of them, but they'll buy very deeply. Is that something you're seeing? Every company wants to make their items work much harder than they're currently working. It's something that we're looking at all the time. But I think every time that we look at it at the end of every season, as we're planning our next year, um, we always come back to the same place, which is differentiation is kind of what wins 
you know, in the marketplace and the channel distribution is really critical for us, whether it's for value or online or just bricks and mortar. We're looking at all different channels every single day. How do you guys see your strengths? I mean, your your partners and uh, you can't both be good at the same things. That never works out well. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are each of you, I'd be interested to know what you think your greatest strength is. Yeah. So, I mean, early on, it, it, it was a learning, you know, because, you know, obviously when we were part of Jax, Jeffrey and I knew each other, but worked not as partners, but as, as people within an organization, you know, so we weren't working together day in and day out. That changed a lot, you know, when he got the license for Hannah Montana and he wasn't going to be doing dolls. And we had a conversation and said, oh, you know, are you going to do any fashion dolls? And he's like, I don't know. I'm not going to do fashion dolls. I'm doing this, this and that. And I'm like, oh, we're, we'll do it, you know, at our business. And, and that kind of built our relationship. And as we started Just Play, we were kind of stumbling over each other because we were involved in marketing. We were involved in sales together. You know, we were involved in licensing and, you know, it, it, it took a little bit of time, but we found our place within the organization. And listen, my area of expertise and, and probably where I'm most proficient is on the sales side. Product development and marketing is where, you know, Jeffrey was and continues to be the leader within our organization. That doesn't mean that we don't have conversation about, hey, let's do that, go out. But when we're together, let's go in this direction or that direction. But when we're together with our teams, we're fully aligned. What are your growth plans? I think one of our key areas of growth is international. Uh, it's something that we opened an office in Europe as well as an office in Australia during the, the pandemic. So that's certainly an area of growth. In addition, I think another area of growth is for us from the online channel. So we are expanding. We're looking for people. Uh, we're, we're growing that business from a creative standpoint as well as for a search engine uh, optimization and marketing and we're growing our creative teams. You know, we're always looking to expand into new categories. So even during this difficult time, we've been adding staff and, and you know to our teams and to our uh, to our organization. So if anyone's out there, we're always looking. One of the things that we've certainly seen in the last few years has been a dramatic change in marketing. You've talked about being online. You've talked about digital marketing. You've talked about different ways to reach your consumers. How have your strategies changed and how will they be changing as you move forward? The biggest change for us is that in the past, most of our marketing used to be done on linear television. And I think that alone is no longer uh, sufficient. So it's a combination of linear TV, of working with digital influencers, of working on search engine optimization, of working at retail channels. How do we retail promotions? When people really get back into the stores, how do we promote uh, at at the retail level? So it's not a one-stop solution anymore. I think you have to be everywhere and you just have to focus it on those moments in time when you do your marketing. So I'm going to ask you the question we ask everybody now on the on the Playground podcast. We're going to ask you to tell us a secret. 
Yes, we've 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 talked about this question, uh, Chris and, and Richard, and and I think we've said a number of times during this call that we're very efficient, you know, entrepreneurs. But but we we had a program with uh, a, a retail partner that didn't work out. It was a doll line uh, that didn't work out, and we had an opportunity on a celebrity doll that went into our line a few years ago, and we took the opportunity to restyle that doll that already existed into this celebrity. And it has been a very, very successful program for us over the last three or four years. I will tell you that after a a three or four month period, we did retool it, um, but it it enabled us to close a deal in January and have the product out in May in store. Okay. And Richard, you know, with Chinese New Year, that that is a very quick turnaround to get a celebrity fashion doll out into market. But yeah, that that would probably be our one little secret that we uh, brought brought a, a product line out within a four or five month period, utilizing maybe some old tooling, but certainly updated it once once we were out in market. It's not the first time that that body parts have been swapped in order to, to meet market <laughs> demands. So Jeffrey Greenberg and Charlie Emby, co-presidents and co-founders of Just Play, two guys that I certainly admire what they've done. And we certainly appreciate the fact that you spent the time with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. This is the Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back with the end cap. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about timely issues in the toy industry and probably nothing more timely right now than the planned May New York Toy Fair has been canceled. So we are not going to be gathering as an industry in New York City until 2022 now, so it looks. And uh, there's still hope for October in Dallas, but this is part of the whole changeable nature of what's going on in the toy business right now and uh, everybody's trying to ride out the storm i'm really looking forward to see some of the figures coming in over the next few years how we finished up in uh, 2020 and uh, which leads me to our topic for today which is the state of bricks and mortar retail chris i thought there was something very interesting that happened uh, i have not heard about any uh, major uh, investment on the part of any retailers in expansion in the U.S. in uh, of their bricks and mortar footprint in the U.S. in uh, 2021. But I was interested to read that Lego is expanding dramatically its physical bricks and mortar presence in China. They plan to uh, double the number of stores they have in China to 300, which will be in 85 cities. And I, I think this is an interesting compare and contrast. And, and, and a good point of discussion is why is Lego making this investment in China? I do think it has a lot to do with how consumers interact with products and retailing in China. It, cast your mind back to when we spoke to Joe Hall of Toys R Us, and she talked about how going to the store was such a cultural event for families on Sundays and, and that Toys R Us in Hong Kong especially. So I think that expanding that throughout the nation gives people a destination for those Sunday family outings. Kids can go hands-on. It's a great way to immerse them in it. And of course, there's a big population that is going to be serviced by this. I think another reason, Chris, is just the sheer scale of the market there. I looked before we came on the air here, and our births in uh, 2018 
were 3,800,000 roughly. And that same year in China, it was 22 million, seven times the number of births. So this is a huge market that is dramatically underdeveloped, certainly as far as the West is concerned. And, and it is one in, in which, due to the fact that they increased the um, number of children a couple could have to two, is, is just a dramatically expanding market. And I think Lego sees that and uh, wants to get ahead of, of everybody else. I think so. And I think Lego is particularly well-suited to the Chinese market in this way. It's hands-on. It gives people an event. It is ostensibly an educational toy, a STEM toy, as kids plan and build. And it's also a big Western brand. And as we've talked in the past, we know the power of those brands within China and how much they want those brands. So I think it's kind of a trifecta of aspects of lego that will be really appealing and oh yeah it's really fun uh, as you talk my mind goes back to you and i actually being at a round table meeting with a group of korean chinese and uh, japanese toy industry people i think there was about 30 of us in the room and you brought up the subject of um, alternatives to lego and my, i remember them all saying in China, it would be considered uh, embarrassing to not have the real thing, that Lego as a brand had that kind of cachet. Lego obviously has a very strong brand position in the country. Also, uh, I want to remind folks listening, I know you know this, uh, there are over 600 cities in China with a population of over a million. That's just staggering. That's an awful lot of potential for an awful lot of bricks. And I, I think that it's a smart move. It's an expensive move. It's a, it's, but it's, it's a calculated risk. And I, I have a feeling that it's really going to pay off for them. Oh, huge. Now, let's come back to the U.S. And what do we see for bricks and mortar in the U.S. in the coming year? And, and some of the things that, that really strike me um, are uh, some real shifts in the marketplace. The number of retailers offering toys uh, continues to uh, decline. I wrote an article this week about where I'm hearing that the drug chains, some of the drug chains are cutting back on toys. Rite Aid and CVS, based on the new store models people have seen, which don't include toys. And uh, so we, we need some clarification on that, of what, what those chains are doing. But I think what's happening there is, is, is um, these drugstore chains are thinking more in terms of being health centers for families with large dock-in-the-box clinics in the stores. And so um, I, I think it's just interesting to me that, that Lego is investing in stores in China. And it just seems to me, with no Toys R Us, with fewer especially toy retailers, with potential cutbacks in toys being offered in drugstores, there's an enormous opportunity for somebody who wants to give that toy store experience to children. And I'm just waiting for somebody to show up on a horse. <laughs> And do that. It, it's a it's a model that hasn't been worked yet, and I would I would suspect, though they would probably di disagree with me. I would suspect that one of the reasons the drug chains are getting out of toys is that the margins are compressed versus a lot of the other products they they sell, and their their production per square foot of shelf space has got to be a lot lower. But there's another area that I think is coming 
on pretty strong in terms of retail, and that's the dollar stores. We've seen companies that are doing lines specifically for the dollar stores. And as more and more people shop there, especially when you get out into rural America, they are more accessible to a lot of people. So I do think you're going to see toys designed specifically for that channel, not just toys that didn't sell in other channels being placed in the dollar stores. What concerns me is that even in the dollar stores, the range of toys that are available are just not represented at, at retail in the United States. Uh, when you go to Europe and you, and you go to the big trade shows, and you see the awe-inspiring number of companies that are out there, that there's a, just a real opportunity for a toy company, a retailer, uh, like the, the entertainer and Smiths in China, and like Mastermind Toys in Canada, that come into the U.S. and provide uh, consumers with curated toys that have value and that are not something that end up in a, in a landfill. And I think culturally we're going to see what happens as we come out of this pandemic and the market, which has not been very hospitable to something like that, may in fact be more conducive to that kind of a store, more of the specialty stores, more of the interactive experience store. We've seen some people try to do experiential marketing, but nobody's found a way to make it work as a business model yet. So we'll just have to see. To me, Chris, the greatest experience is to walk in a store and to stand there and think, in this store, I'm going to see something today I never thought I'd see. And, and that is the enchantment of a great toy store. And I, I hope we see that. And we all hope we see some retail investment in the United States in the business of toys. I certainly hope so as well. And we'll leave it there for now. This is obviously a big discussion. We're going to want to continue over time. And we would welcome your comments as well. This is the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with my co-host Richard Gottlieb. And we are brought to you by global toy experts, the toy guy and marketing and media company, Chizcom. We will see you next time.